0: good morning everybody it's good to be with you it's good to be here this Sunday after Easter and it's certainly good to see our confirmands and to be a part of your faith development so thanks for letting us be a part of that we're excited for you for your families uh, and for all that lies ahead in your own faith journey because it's just beginning I don't know if you've heard that or not but it's just beginning it's not over yet it's just just starting so Today is uh, not only the Sunday after Easter, but I I learned something this week after 30-plus years of being in ministry. I'd never heard of this concept before, but maybe some of you have. It's called uh, Holy Humor Sunday. Have you heard that this Sunday? Holy Humor Sunday. Have you ever heard that? Yes? Way to go. I'd never heard that before. Sometimes called Bright Sunday. And the the legend goes that, of course, the week after Easter, what we want to do is celebrate the joy and the elation of the resurrection, celebrate the the gift of new life that we have, and it's a way to sort of keep that joy going. You heard uh, Pastor Gracie talk about, golly, we don't always know what to do after the Sunday following Easter, but this Holy Humor Sunday, and some of it uh, went on to go uh, that you would often have pranks on the pastor. And so I just want to get you ready for next year to do that on Pastor Doug. The pranks... (laughs) to make sure that we laugh, right, and that we celebrate. That's what this is all about. We want to give thanks for God's love, for the way in which God causes powerful resurrection and new life. And today, of course, we get to celebrate our confirmands and the ways in which their faith journey is continuing as well. But often we have asked on this Sunday, well, what's next? What do we do now? And I assure you that the early disciples asked the same thing, what's next? I mean, Jesus has died and the the tomb is empty and now we have resurrection, what what follows this? What's next? And Matthew's gospel tells us that the disciples went on to Galilee, that's where Jesus told them to go. So they went on to Galilee and they found him there. Mark's gospel tells us nothing. Mark's gospel ends with the empty tomb and that's sufficient, right? There's There's a resurrection, there's an empty tomb, so we don't need anymore. Luke's gospel, on the other hand, has a powerful story of uh, some of the disciples walking on the road to a community called Emmaus. And on that journey, they encounter Jesus and they have a conversation with him, and, but they don't recognize him. And then they keep going. They invite this man that they, do, they don't recognize to dinner. And when they sit down at the table and they break bread, they recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And it's a powerful image of how we recognize Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And John's gospel has perhaps the most uh, profound example. Er, Late that same day, the disciples are locked behind closed doors. They're scared to death. They don't know what's going to happen to Jesus. They don't know what's going to happen to them. They're afraid the same thing will happen to them that happened to Jesus, so they lock the doors, and Jesus shows up. If you read uh, John chapter 20 at the end, you know that Jesus shows up, walks right through the locked doors, and encounters them. But don't you know they all wanted to ask the question, what next? What do we do? Well, Matthew's gospel gives us a powerful image of what it is we are to do and how it is we are to live into our faith following the resurrection and claiming us. If you'll follow along with me in Matthew's gospel, we see it uh, in the uh, very end of the gospel in the 28th chapter. Jesus is claiming for us what it means to follow him, and, and he gives us a powerful image. He says this at the beginning in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. They weren't all positive. They weren't all uh, following along. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's a great story because it helps us know what it is we're supposed to do, right? What is the next step? What's next for us? And that is our kind of marching orders. These are the words Jesus leaves to those early disciples that he's also leaving with you and me about what we're to do. And confirmands, I want you to know this is for you. This is not just for we adults, we old fogies. This is for you too. This is what Jesus says to you just like Jesus says to me and to everybody else in this room. This is what we're here for. And some people have often asked, well, so what is the big deal with confirmation? I mean, what what makes this such a special opportunity? I just want to give us some some basic concepts of that, because confirmation is unique, not just to Methodism, but to a few denominations within Christianity, and it has a great and wonderful purpose. Uh, If I were to put it in a nutshell, I would simply say this, that confirmation is the fulfillment of our baptism. So many of us were baptized as infants, right? You don't need to show any hands because I I baptized some of you just a couple of weeks ago. But when we're baptized as infants, confirmation kind of is the fulfillment of that baptism. And even for those of you who I got to baptize just a few short weeks ago, this is the fulfillment of that baptism. It is a way to say that baptism claimed you for God's work and God's use in the world, and yet you didn't have anything to do with it because you were an infant if that were true, right? And now, we say in confirmation, this brings you full circle. Now you get to fulfill that baptism, and you get to say, I am a follower of Jesus, and I want that to be true. In fact, if indeed we're to fulfill that baptism, we need to recognize what baptism does. Baptism is a fascinating concept, and what we believe in the United Methodist tradition is this. Baptism is an initiation into the body of Christ. That is to say, now through this rite, through this sacrament, you are being initiated into the household of God, into the family of faith. And the baptism, whether you were baptized as an infant and just sprinkled, or whether you got fully immersed a couple of weeks ago, that is an initiation for you to say, okay, I'm all in, and I'm all apart, and I want to claim that stake. But baptism is also another component. It, it not only initiates us, but baptism also is an incorporation into God's mighty acts of salvation. So all that God has been doing in all of creation and all that God has been doing across the globe and all that God has done in each individual life, baptism now is not only initiating you into the body of Christ, but it's incorporating you into God's mighty acts of salvation. Did you know that? We claim that in your baptism. We made that statement. And now we just want to remind ourselves that that's why we're here, that we're incorporating you into God's greater purposes. And so ultimately, confirmation is an affirmation of your faith. It's a way for you to now say to the world, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe in who he is. I believe in what he's done. I want to claim him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to walk in lockstep with him the rest of my days. Are you you ready for that, guys? way to go are you ready for that girls yeah excuse me yeah (laughs) this is why we're here right and so jesus has given us some very straightforward um, sort of instructions about what it is we're supposed to do now that he's been raised and now that the tomb is empty what do we need to go to do what's next and he gives us three simple guidelines because if you are like me i tend to complicate it but jesus wants to make it as simple and as straightforward as possible And so his first words of instruction are simply, go, right? Go. Don't just hang out. Don't just sit and think. Don't just wonder aloud even how wonderful it is that Jesus suffered and died for me and was raised from the dead. Don't just do that, but rather go and share this good news, go and tell somebody about it, go and make a difference in the world, right? He says, go, therefore, and everywhere in Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, whether it's Jesus or the Apostle Paul when he's writing to churches, every time they say, therefore, pay attention, go, therefore, and make disciples, right? What he's telling us is is that we need to go and make a difference in the world. Some of us feel like, golly, we got to go halfway across the globe, we got to become a missionary. That is perfectly fine. And God bless everybody who does that, and I'm grateful for all who do that. But it really just means go across the room and tell somebody. Go across the street and love your neighbor. Go across town and help somebody out. Go, see. For many of us, we just kind of think, well, Maybe that's somebody else's job, or maybe somebody else will take care of that. Maybe maybe somebody else can help make that real, and I don't need to worry about it. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, go. It's not a wish. It's not a desire. It's not a thought. It's not a, a hope. It's a command. Go. Go and do this. And here's a part of the good news, Jesus tells us he's going to be with us, and in fact, In the book of Acts, which is the first book past the Gospels, Jesus is still with us and he's talking to the disciples. And in the very first chapter of Acts chapter 1, he says, now when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, notice it doesn't say if, this is when. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to become my witnesses. In Jerusalem, our hometown, in Judea, maybe the region or the state in which we live, in Samaria, those people and places we don't really want to go, those kind of folks we don't really like, and to all the ends of the earth, we can go anywhere. Whether halfway across the globe or halfway across the room, Jesus is inviting us simply to go take the initiative to help somebody know about the good news, that He loves them, And you love them, and God wants them to know that, right? Let's go. Second thing Jesus says is very straightforward as well. Make, right? Go make disciples. And for many of us, we get all kind of flustered about that because we're not 100% sure what make means. Right? What, how does that work? How do I make something? How do I make somebody? How do I get them there, right? And then the other is disciple. We often wonder, well, who, what is a disciple? Who, who is a disciple? And, and the, the word is quite straightforward. It just means a follower or a learner of Jesus. And so the very first thing we need to recognize, confirmands and all of us in the room, is that in order to be a disciple maker, we've got to be a disciple ourselves. A follower, a learner of Jesus. It's why you went through confirmation. It's why you learned the things that you learned and discussed the things that you discussed and experienced the things that you experienced because you are learning what it means to follow Jesus and how it has impact on our lives and how it changes sometimes what we do and say and how we interface with other people. That's a disciple. And in order for us to make a disciple, we got to be one and I maintain we have to become and that we are becoming a disciple. In other words, it's ongoing. It's, it's not a once and done. It's not a I make the decision and I'm finished or I learn the scriptures and I'm, I don't need to read them anymore or any of that. It means I'm becoming. And I know for some of us, we kind of we kind of feel like maybe I've already gotten there. Maybe I've already read that. Maybe I've already done that. Maybe I don't need to know anymore. Comfortments, I just want you to think about it this way. You guys, uh, you don't need sippy cups anymore, do you? No. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. You don't need training wheels on your bike anymore, right? And, and certainly, uh, nobody's wearing diapers, right? I mean, nobody, right? I mean, I hope not, right? So, so you've passed that part, right? right? You've moved on from that. You've, you've come quite a ways from there, right? But I've got a couple of other questions. Have you, um, have you got your driver's license yet? No? Is that, is that a couple of years away? Yeah. Can, can you vote yet? Can, can you go to the polls and, and vote? Maybe, I don't know. Do you want to do that? I don't know, right? You can't do all of those things, right? You can't go to rated R movies, right? You're not going to rated R movies, right? You can't do that. So, in other words, you're still becoming, right? You're you're past certain things, but you've got still other things that you've got to do, and that's the way it is when we make disciples. We we become one. We grow into that, and then we help share that with others, and we help others to know what that looks like, and we help come alongside of folks, and we love them, and we care for them, and we, we help them to know what it is to follow Jesus by the things that we do and the things that we say. And Jesus set a powerful example for this, right, over and over again. One of my favorites happens to be in John's gospel in the 13th chapter. Jesus says, wash the disciples' feet. Do you remember that story? They had gathered for the last supper, for the last meal, but Jesus washed their feet. And Jesus said something profound to them. He said, I am your Lord and your teacher. You call me that, and rightfully so, that is who I am. But you notice what I've done. I've, I've washed your feet. And I need you to know that this is something that not only I have done, but that you need to do, because when you do this, you will demonstrate for folks what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow and learn and be this disciple. Let's go and make these disciples, because we have that capacity, friends. It's not just a preacher, or it's not just a Sunday school teacher, or it's not just a youth leader. it's It's all of us, and we're all in this Now, notice Jesus wasn't done yet. He said, go, don't just hang out, but go. And He said, go make disciples. And He said, now, we've got to baptize, and that's what we did for you, whether when you were a baby several years ago or whether just a couple of weeks ago, we baptize you. And every time we baptize, we claim this beautiful gift that we are initiated into the body of Christ, that we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. And notice that we need to do it in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that Trinitarian language helps seal the deal. But Jesus wasn't done yet. So there's one last thing that we've got to be doing, and that is teach them what is needful or necessary, right? Because in our human frailty, we often forget what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living, why we are a follower of Jesus. We kind of just tootle along in our lives, do our own thing. We go to school. We play our sports. We do our dance or our music, and, and we just do our stuff, and we tend to sometimes forget, oh, yeah, I... I'm a follower of Jesus. And I'm called to help others not only know who He is, but grow in a relationship with Him. That's why our purpose here at Treach is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And that's ongoing teaching, right? And sometimes that's very formal, like sitting down in class, which you love to do every single weekday, right? I know. Sometimes it's formal in Sunday school or youth group, right, where there's a lesson and I'm supposed to respond and answer questions, all kinds of stuff. And sometimes it's very informal, like in a life group where we just talk about where we've encountered God or maybe just sit down with a cup of coffee with a friend and and explain why I follow Jesus. Those are all teaching moments. And I want to suggest that every moment of our lives, whether with family or friends or with coworkers or with neighbors, are teaching moments. And sometimes I, and I can only assume you, have abdicated our responsibility and our role in teaching people about the love of God found in Jesus Christ. And yet, it's so simple. Jesus told us there were just two commandments. I mean, there's just two things we've got to do, two very simple things, right? And they weren't even original with Jesus. Jesus borrowed them from the Hebrew faith, and he said, these are the two things that make us who we are and what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love God with everything we've got. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us this, but Matthew's gospel says it in a way that I absolutely love. Because after Jesus had said, these are the two commandments, you know what he said? Matthew twenty-two forty: 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Everything you ever learned, everything you ever understood, everything God ever said, everything that is ever printed about this, it all hangs on these two things. That's all we got to teach. And we can do it informally or we can do it formally. We can do it in the way we live and breathe and eat and have our being, or we can sit down in the classroom and teach. You got your pick. But Jesus simply asks us to do these three things, go and make and teach, and don't you suspect those disciples some 2,000 years ago, they were wondering, how am I going to do this? What am I supposed to do? What's next? What do I make of all this stuff? And so do we. And so I want to encourage us to just narrow it down to these three simple things, to go and to make and to teach. And here's the best news of all. When we're doubtful about how to do it, when we're scared to death and we're not sure that we can do it, when we feel completely inadequate, or when we don't know the person that we're supposed to be loving, Jesus says something so straightforward and simple. And I love the way he put it because we've just spent seven weeks learning about the I am statements of Jesus, right? I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the good shepherd, right? And Jesus says, Right here in Matthew chapter 28, I am with you. That's good news. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have everything all snappy clean and and pristine and perfect. We don't have to have everything just so. All we need to know is that Jesus is with us that the Holy Spirit is empowering us, everything else just sort of comes naturally. So I want to encourage us, confirmands, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, friends and neighbors, let's go, let's make, let's teach. And as we do, we will build God's kingdom. We will create God's love in our lives and in the world, and we will help make the world a much better place. Thanks for joining the journey. Thanks for taking up the call, and thanks for guiding us in all of our ways as well. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, for the powerful ways that he's been acting and living and breathing in the lives of these young confirmands, God, help us as those who've been a part of this journey maybe for decades or maybe just since last week, that you guide us too and that you help give us this co-mission, this purpose with you. God, give us courage and give us strength to follow through and to go and to make and to teach so that we can truly take the next step and lead others into the same. God, we're grateful for the opportunity. We pray that we can trust the words of Jesus. I am with you. God, this is our prayer. And we lift it in the name of the one, Jesus, whom we know to be the Christ. Amen.